Bum, 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 bum. COVID-19, 2020. Everything shut down. Everything on lockdown. What do you do in New York City when there's no bars, no gyms, no nightlife, no concert venues? No jobs. No jobs. What do you do? You cold open. This is a mentorship podcast for the digital age. For anyone who looks outside of the box for inspiration. And knows just how important a great mentor can be. From movie stars to blog writers to entertainment lawyers who became Instagram stars. In this day and age, we have something to learn from everyone. So this is your weekly chance to get personal with people who've been down the road before you. And soak up a whole lot of inspiration from every corner of the internet. This is not the uh, conversation I was imagining we would have today doing the intro for this episode. No, it's very interesting. So over the last, what, four days, yeah. the entire city's shut down. Yeah. I just got off a plane back from Arkansas and people there were like, when I got there on Thursday, they were like, oh no, we're fine, blah, 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 or Friday. They were like, oh no, we're fine, fine, fine. By Saturday, people were like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, we all have it. Everybody's got yeah, it. Yeah, it's weird. On Thursday, so last week I was in auditions all week for the producers that I, this production of the producers that I'm directing this summer, which I have to say, Andrew, yeah. if you're going to be anywhere during a panic and and what is arguably probably the most stressful incident of the like last decade, it's an audition room for the producers because thank God, you know, you can't be on your phone. I asked everybody to come in with a joke. So just got to hear eight hours of the best bad jokes in the entire world callbacks were like incredible everybody was so creative and we were one of the only places still you know running auditions on by friday oh yeah so there was just sort of like this really beautiful spirit and it was so fun to laugh but man i, I by thursday even in auditions i was like ah, should i leave the city i don't know man and i'm still yeah. not sure i've made the right choice by staying but we'll see right 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 i mean i think everybody's kind of grappling with it right now also is like where do you go what do you do how do you you know i mean this is unprecedented nobody knows what to do and we're clearly not getting any leadership from our government or the people that should that are in charge like i'm interested to find out from everyone when you listen to this if you want to like yeah. t- tweet us or get on instagram and dm i'm just curious how everyone that listens is dealing with like the stress of uh not only like the idea of getting the virus but like not having work i feel like most of the people who listen to our podcast um certainly most of our friends i am included like without jobs and no idea how to yeah. pay bills and like right ha- and not even in not even in the creative arts like not even in the arts industry or whatever but like even just regular people doing their jobs like right my mom likes talking to my mom she's like legitimately fearful that and she works in a hospital she's like am i going to be considered non-essential employee because she's a uh administrator in a hospital you mm-hmm. know what i mean she deals with mm-hmm. the paperwork and stuff like that like is she going to be put out you know like my mom doesn't have a lot of money uh, there's a lot of people out there who live paycheck to paycheck and there's a lot of people who you know, can't make ends meet. This is what what we're yeah. doing when you start going down that like rabbit hole is perpetuating mm-hmm. the stress levels around everything. So I'm just really curious what everybody's doing to keep themselves or trying to keep themselves, you know, de-stressed and not caught up in sort of all of the unknown. So if you feel like it, <laughs> send us your 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 best suggestions. <laughs> But on the adverse, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about ways to not just to um, come through on the other side unscathed. I'm thinking about ways to like be creative and say, hey, listen, we're in a weird time right now where we don't know where the shit is. Like, what's the next great thing? What is the thing that you could do to perpetuate yourself or um, your creativity or your happiness or even your money making or fiscal abilities? Like, what are the things that you do on the backside of this or during this while you have the downtime to be able to create something great? You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. You know what we're doing tonight on the Broadway on Lack channels, actually. So, and if it if it goes well, we'll we'll do it every week. So we were supposed to do our first salon dinner at the end of this mm-hmm. month, like in a couple of weeks, which of course has been canceled. But the salon, the the salon, it's called a salon, and it I created it to be a gathering point to bring together like extraordinary business minds and extraordinary theater minds together around a really incredible um, dinner experience. And we're using the Jefferson dinner model where you you propose a question to each of the attendees, same question that's meant to be disagreed upon, right? So it's sort of like instilling this value that though we come from different backgrounds and lenses and opinions and experiences, discourse is valuable, right? And not just talking to people who think the same thing. Well, so this has been canceled. And uh, we were getting to my partner and I that I work on this with, we're getting together for our usual Sunday work date, virtually, obviously this week. And I was like, look, 
I have this weird idea. Roll with me for a second. What if we do a virtual salon dinner this week. I have this amazing platform, this streaming platform called Stage 10 that I helped um, them in their early beta moments use. And it's really great. And you can pull people in and out of this platform. It's like a live switcher for TV, but it's for live streaming on the internet. Uh, And I was like, so why don't we just invite a couple of the people that were on our invite list for this dinner? And we'll come up with a question, obviously, that has something to do with what's going on right now. And let's all have dinner together and live stream this out onto YouTube and Facebook. So tonight um, at 7 p.m. Eastern, we're going to do our first salon. And uh, we're having the head of capital for a venture fund out of Toronto, Adam Goyer on. We're having Brian Campione on from uh, Broadway Buzz and uh, Emily McGill, who's my partner on the dinners and myself. And then we're going to, if anybody is like around and watching and tweets us, we can pull people into the dinner, like have a cocktail with us and discuss this this question we're going to pose. So to your point, I mean, look, it's going to do nothing to pay my bills for now, that's for sure. But it at least will be, what an interesting thing to come out of these dinners that I never, you know, planned on. Right. But I mean, you can make inroads. Like that's the whole point about downtime is to be able to sit and postulate and theorize on things that you could, you'd never get the time to think about. And then you can like plan out the, oh, I had an idea. Now I have the time to do it. You know, so the question we're going to pose is what is our job in this moment? Um, what is our job as people who create things? And I think that, you know, Emily was asking me if that's applicable to the business folks. And I'm thinking like, Adam is the head of capital for our, you know, a social impact venture fund. He makes things happen. Yeah. My friend Ryan Hayes, who's a managing director at Lazard, who's going to jump on with us. Like he buys and sells middle market companies, right? And so how interesting to bring artists and business folks together still in in the midst of this and answer that question and exchange information, you know, between our two experiences. Don't waste this time to all of our listeners out there. Don't waste this time. I uh, just wanted to play. I like, I feel like I wanted to play John Philip Sousa underneath that entire speech. (laughs) (laughs) Marco. Marco. Oh my God. Well, I'll tell you what, while this episode today is really timely today, we're interviewing the incredible Robert Darwell, who is an extraordinary entertainment lawyer who is We'll tell you his bio in a second. Just worked on the biggest films and TV deals of like our lifetimes. Uh, But he also runs an amazing Instagram called The Daily Server that um, features uh, incredible people around the world that gave him incredible food and beverage service. And it's really timely because I'm so sad. They're all out of a job. Right. They're out of a job. But he's also like his Instagram, like with the the voice that he gives to those people is like, it's kind of sad now because... Like he's not showcasing any of those people either. So it's like, oh, he's like, this guy is awesome. He's like, he's a genius. First of all, he's a genius. Oh my God, you guys. (laughs) He's so smart. Uh, we say that about a lot of people, but this guy's like legit. I think he took the cake, right? Uh, and, and he's just rad, man. He's just a rad dude. Like he just, he's like so down to so, earth. Because we never really did it on the episode. I just want to take a moment. I'm ready. I'm going to read his one paragraph bio straight from his law firm's <laughs> website, just so your head can explode. Over the course of Rob Darwell's legal career, he's worked on the development, finance, production, and distribution of hundreds of motion pictures and television productions, including Traffic, Brokeback Mountain, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. In addition, he's handled the deals such as as Disney's termination of the Weinsteins. He also handled Disney's subsequent sale of Miramax. He was the lead entertainment counsel to Comcast when it acquired NBC. So just like wrap your brain around that shit right there because this guy is, I mean, arguably one of the yeah most important entertainment lawyers in our business. Uh, but he's also a DJ. And he also runs this incredible Instagram called The Daily Server, which is how I just reached out to him. I call, I've been following him forever, and I just DM'd him and was cold, like, "Cold DM'd him, sweet cold DM, please come on our <laughs> podcast." And amazingly, he was like, "Absolutely, that sounds great." <laughs> Uh, and this guy was like ready for everything. It was a lot of fun. Um, and hey, you guys, also just in connection to sort of the the really tough spot that servers and bartenders are in right now, if you go to the Daily Server and you follow Rob after this episode, um, yesterday he posted, he went out to dinner one more time yesterday. He's home in New York right now. Um, and he linked three places that you can actually donate to. If you have extra means, there are three places, including the USBG, which is the Bartenders Guild, where you can donate money and they're setting up relief funds. Um, Because again, if you don't know anyone who is a bartender or a 
waiter for their livelihood is now not being paid at all. And uh, that's super problematic and scary for the industry. So do us a favor. You you do it anyway, because you're going to be so in love with Rob after this episode. Yeah. But go follow yeah. The Daily Server. Click on one of those links if you've got a little extra and shoot some money their way so that these relief funds for people in our beloved food and beverage industry have some help during this really tough time. So guys, if you uh, don't forget, if you want to be a part of this episode of TM2C, head over to Twitter and follow us at TM2C Podcast to leave us a video ask question for upcoming guests like Rob and like anybody you want to hear from because we got some really cool cats coming up and it's time to get meow. <laughs> we hope you enjoy this episode of Take Me to Coffee with Rob Darwell. <laughs> <laughs> For inviting me. Um, we were talking before we started recording about like getting pre-selected questions and stuff, but we figure with Take Me to Coffee, it's well, literally we're actually taking you to coffee today, except to, we didn't buy you coffee. Sorry. Do you know, um, I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. Is that true? Is it an aversion to caffeine or just that you just want to stay away from the coffee scene? I'm, I'm drinking a Diet Coke at the moment, but... Oh, um, no, you love caffeine then. Okay. It's saccharine. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I just don't like the taste of coffee. Wow. Never. I've, I've tasted it on a spoon. Every couple of years, someone will say, this is the best coffee. And I'll say, okay, I'll taste it on a spoon. And <laughs> that's that. I saw somewhere in like one of your bios, maybe it's like your official Shepard Mullins bio, that you're available anytime anyone needs you. And I simply do not understand how that's possible without coffee. <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, I guess it's probably more like a, you know, a diet Coke or something like that. <laughs> so, so you're, you're the guy, you're the guy that wakes up at like something happens on a set or something goes crazy with a, you know, a movie budget or something or something wild happens. And you're the guy they call to go, Hey, you're the fixer, right? You're the guy that they, they call at four o'clock in the morning. And you go, you know what? I've been up for two hours already drinking diet Coke. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had those calls. Um, I've done, I remember one that I did at four o'clock in the morning. I was uh, representing a French company that was doing a deal uh, with a company based in Hong Kong. And then the only time that seemed to be convenient for everyone else <laughs> was at four, was at four a.m. And I remember, <laughs> and it, son of a, and it was yeah, it was a Skype call with video. So I put on a dress shirt, but I was otherwise in boxers. And uh, that's what we do with this podcast all the time. You're in great company. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, I'm not wearing I, pants right I'm now. In my boxers now. <laughs> <laughs> we did literally our first tagline for this had was like the no pants podcast or something. <laughs> Uh, well, listen, Rob, I want to like, I want to start this thing from the top. Yeah. Let's get into this thing. I want to get into the bare bones of it. I want to get my hands in. I want to knead it a little bit like a, like a good bit of baked bread. You know, I want to put it all together right now. <sighs> now I want a massage. <laughs> <laughs> this is me massaging you. Get Raj in there. Where's Raj? You're not on lunch anymore, Raj. Uh, Raj is the IT guy that helped us set all this up. Thank you, Raj. Thank for you, your Raj. Diligence and help. Uh, and your kneading abilities on my buddy Rob here. Um, so I want to get into the nuts and bolts of this thing. I know you probably get a lot of questions about your business and how, you know, you, you facilitated the. The, the Disney mergers and things like that, but I want to know like about you. I want to know what started you down this path. Where do you come from? Where how did you get there? What was your what was your driving force to become this prolific entertainment lawyer? Go. Hmm. And well, we have tons of time, so just go ahead and then start from the beginning. Where'd you grow up? I I grew up in Ohio, and Ooh. I wound up going to. Uh, I mean, I finished high school when I was sixteen. I didn't like shoveling the driveway anymore, so Fair. I wound up going to <laughs> ASU, Arizona okay. State. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it was that was a while ago, so there were no college tours or visiting other campuses. It was the only school I applied to. I <laughs> sent for the brochure, and it looked hot, and there was definitely no snow, <laughs> and so I, yeah, I moved to Tempe, Arizona. Showed up uh -huh. with all my belongings and uh, went to school there, and then did a. Uh, a semester in, in France at the Sorbonne and decided to, um, I knew I was going to be a lawyer. I think it was a fourth grade teacher at uh, Open House who told told my mother uh, that, you know, boy, he likes to argue a lot. So I think he'll make a great lawyer. <laughs> and from that moment on, since not, you know, nine years old, I knew I was going to be a lawyer. But I thought I wanted to do uh, something international based. I Decided to go to law school at Georgetown because they were known for kind of their you know international yeah. programming programs, mm -hmm. and uh, I was going to try to do international trade work, and that you know that was my plan. 
During the second year of law school, we were having a baby, and I was taking an entertainment law class, and we had to write a paper. So I wrote about children in the entertainment industry. Uh, yeah. Two kids and the actor Vic Morrow had just been killed on the mm -hmm. set of The Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And so I decided to write a piece about the uh, laws governing the employment of minors and did a comparison piece between California and New York, which were the two states that had the most uh, developed set of laws mm -hmm. for, for engaging minors. Mm -hmm. And that piece got published in California and someone said, oh, you know, entertainment law is really difficult to get into. And so I said, oh, then that's what I want to do. <laughs> I'm picking up that you are, you like being contrary, you like a good challenge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and no. <laughs> well, I have, a couple, I have a couple of questions off of that. Did the, the piece that you wrote, was that just because you were thinking about your own kid at the time? Like, I don't know. It's so interesting that you sort of happened into all of this in, in some way. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think, I don't know, you know. Life and career is both kind of a combination of uh, a little bit of fate, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, combined with definitely having in you know ongoing direction and and goals, and then you know working toward them. Have you ever thought about doing anything else at all? Uh, other than law, I mean, I think once I I said, oh, I would have loved to if I weren't a lawyer, I would have maybe liked to have been a DJ in Iceland or something. Um, <laughs> That's so specific. And, you mean like in like one of the frozen hotels, like an ice hotel? Just in Reykjavik generally or something. But uh, a couple of years ago, I, I did start um, – DJing, um, you know, which is something that you definitely pick up in your fifties, right? Sure, yeah. um, oh, of course, yeah. no, absolutely. <laughs> was it dubstep that you were like really into, or EDM, or like is it? It was more of a challenge um, because I was I was told that uh, I didn't have the beat to be a DJ. I mean, I've always liked music, and everybody knows that I have. You know, I'm always you know telling them this is what's going to be next, or this is what's going to be popular. Uh -huh. And I said, oh, you know, oh, I was at a party in Argentina, and I looked over, and the the DJ at the event was a silver-haired guy and I was like ah that could be me <laughs> I mean although I don't have the silver hair but uh, <laughs> I said that could be me and then uh, I was told yeah but you don't really have the beat and I was like oh that's the challenge so then I did you, know. did you did you like go to school to find rhythm at that point or were you just like <laughs> let me let me dive in here let me figure out what rhythm is I I think I know I, I still don't think I have the beat necessarily <laughs> I DJ by theme that's uh, fun. So I dig that. And what's your what's your what's your favorite theme? What's your most popular? What what do you what's your go to? Uh, ass. <laughs> I have a fifty minute set that I play that's all ass related. So that's the best answer it, to a question I've ever. Heard. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm very rarely speechless. That is not what I expected to come out of your mouth. There's so many songs from you know kind of the innocent shake your tail feather. Right, right to right. you know, like fat bottom girls. Yes, you know, big Sean, right, right. ass, ass, yeah, ass, yeah, yeah, ass. Sure. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, wow. I think you know it plays really well uh, mm -hmm. because you know that's a theme that people kind of pick up on pretty quickly. What you're <laughs> got you know, that what you're doing, yeah, yeah. and then so like kind of each new track, they are you know they're almost anticipating you know what song will be next and what you're going to hear. Oh, that's so, fun. Uh, have you discussed with people at length um, the the theme throughout and what their feelings were throughout the entire set? Like I thought it was going to be, but it was, uh, and that 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 starts like a conversation, or is it just more of like a this is mine? Like getting feedback from someone? Yeah, no, no, I don't. I mean, I played a a party at Fred Siegel, which was a, a brand launch, and I think Swarovski was one of the sponsors. And so, I mean, on that one, I didn't I didn't discuss with anyone, but I had created like a diamond mix. So you, with the DJing, you, the people ask you to do it, right? You're not like going out and hustling for DJ gigs. I mean, I, I keep an ear out for them if somebody's making a suggestion, you know, or saying, oh, we're having a party. I'm like, oh, I could do that. How, how often do you solicit yourself <laughs> To the DJ market, <laughs> I feel like you're you run in some pretty high power circles, right? You you run with some dudes that are like we throw parties, and you just go, hey, you know, at like whoever you're talking to, anybody, Schumacher, somebody like that. You're like, hey, uh, I know you got a little party going on. I do a little DJing on the side. Would you mind if I did a set? Is that what do you approach them like that? I think it happened. I was asked to speak at the uh, Zurich Film Summit, uh, which is typically every October, and. Uh, they there was a party for Oliver Stone and a movie that he had you know had at the festival and so I wound up 
yeah, I wound up kind of talking myself into DJing that party. That's amazing. That I, is question for awesome. you, because like, so in in a way that is not even up to your level. So let's just preface it with that. But you know, I'm I I think Andrew is too. We're pe- persons of many talents like true deep talents. And, you know, in some some walks of life, that can be tough because people, they're sort of still ascribed to that, right, ma- jack of all trades, master of none philosophy and all of that stuff. Like, do you run into any pushback when you're like, yo, I'm like the best lawyer ever and an amazing DJ and a big hospitality person? Well, ama- I'm glad you used amazing in front of DJ, but you you haven't heard me. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I assume. I mean, look, your, your favorite theme mix is ass. So on my list, you are amazing. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I think it's the same thing, you know, within, within my practice of law. I mean, I've been doing it nearly 30 years. So to, I have to keep keep it interesting for myself. I mean, the bulk of my work has been in motion picture and television yeah. for for uh, most of my career. But every you know couple of years, I try to add some new component to it. I mean, a decade or so ago, I you know said, oh, we should also focus on advertising law, uh. right? And uh, you know, so maybe it's seventy percent the same skill set, and then there's a bunch of regulatory stuff that you need to you know, to learn and, and, and master same about a decade ago, I added a fashion apparel beauty practice. And really, I had no personal clients in that area, put on a continuing legal education uh, program in New York. You know, most of those are some kind of breakfast meeting or something yeah, where they serve yeah. you a bagel. And I was like, ah, I'm going to do mine, you know, during fashion week. And I wanted to be with martinis. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, out of out of that, I landed my first fashion client, which was Gucci. And, oh, um, sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, and since then, I, yeah, I've done work for Chanel and others and, you know, kind of created that not out of nothing because I, you know, was skilled as an entertainment lawyer, but moving into a new, you know, new industry in that way. So did you find that when you were um, kind of courting these people and doing these things that you, your like kind of no knowledge and more my creative aspect kind of inspired you in a different way to like kind of flip the script on what these old business meeting were business meetings were and these other, you know, just the kind of a paradigm shift in this world. Did you, did you kind of go, you know what? I'm going to throw all that out the window. I don't like doing that. I want to do what I want to do. I might even DJ my own event. What do Was it that, was that a thought that you had? Uh, I mean, I guess I wouldn't say completely, you know, throw yeah. out the rules or the, you know, the the typical constructs. But yeah, try to bring something new or fresh to it. And I think yeah. that sometimes, you know, not having practiced in a particular area, you know, for 20 years, at least gives you, you know, fresh insight. Um, yeah. Again, similarly, uh, you know, we have an art law practice now at the firm that I initiated and I remember the first one of the early projects that I got was a consignment agreement at Sotheby's, and I was representing the jewel that was going to be on the cover of Sotheby's Winter Jewel, um, you know, auction. And mm-hmm. I had not done that type of agreement before, and you know, just read it logically from start to finish, and I figured, well, I've got the star jewel, so I treated it as though I had the you know, the A-level actor in the in the show and marked up the agreement. Yeah. I remember the Sotheby's attorney said, this is the most marked up contract we have ever received. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know, got 90% of the changes that I wanted. Wow. So I think there it was just, you know, looking at it logically, but also bringing some fresh perspective. So how do you describe yourself now? You know, like what's your log line or your elevator when someone's like, what's your deal as a lawyer? Cause you, now you do all of this. I know, you know, and, and sometimes that's a little bit of a challenge because I, I, I do and have worked with people who are exclusively like within one vertical like that. And, you know, it's very nice and easy for them to shake hands and say, hello, I'm an art lawyer. Yeah. Hello, I'm a fashion lawyer. Right. I, I, you know, tend to just say, you know, enter me- entertainment, media, content, something like that. I feel like just, we, we're only like 15 minutes into your story. I'm like, you should just have one name by this point, for sure. You're like, just just Rob. Like, you're like Madonna, the Madonna of lawyering. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, some people, I'm go, you know, call me by my last name and they'll just say Darwell, you know. Oh. <laughs> I was actually just going to say that. I'm just going to call you Darwell. <laughs> I've had clients call and say, you know, 
I need you to get all Darwell on them, meaning kind of rip them a new one or something like that. <laughs> yeah. In legalese. Yes. I feel like Miriam Webster actually just just coined the Darwell as a as the new as a new adjective. Okay, I have questions. Going back to so you wrote this paper, we're all the way back at in in school at Georgetown. You've written this paper, you decided that you're gonna go into entertainment law. Um, did you move to straight to LA after that? Yes. Yeah, moved right after uh, law school to uh, Los Angeles with a job. Like were you our- part of a firm at that point? Yeah, we did. Uh, uh, yes, I. I, I you know, it was late '80s. There were a lot of jobs, and mm-hmm. um, you know, did pretty. I had done pretty well in school, and there were a lot of opportunities. Although a lot of opportunities at different law major law firms, but people were hesitant to take you directly into entertainment. Uh, so I don't. Mm. Know. Ultimately, I chose the firm that promised me that I could start immediately into entertainment. So was there, uh, like when you first started, was there a bit of a, um, was it an elitist kind of a status for entertainment law or was it such a small, like fledgling uh, entity that people were kind of reticent to have a, a lawyer go in to go that route? It was a it was a smaller pool of lawyers than there is today. Mm-hmm. But um, I think by that time, it had already been, it had been fairly established. Um most entertainment lawyers, or certainly at some of the the best firms, you know, really were were pretty well credentialed. Rather than, um, you know, everybody says, "Oh, entertainment." That's like it's not. It's like going to lunch. That's entertainment law, or you know, doing a contract <laughs> on on a napkin. Right. And you know, it's actually <laughs> kind of quite quite to the contrary. I mean, mm-hmm. people perceive it to be so glamorous and that. And I'm like, oh, we'll come by my office at you know 10 p.m. where I'm going through, you know couple hundred page loan agreements and see how glamorous that is, you know. <laughs> and has that has that complexity and technicalness of it in in your practice in that area of practice in, uh, changed significantly from when you went into it to now? Because uh, I think I'm asking because the studio systems have changed so significantly, right? And the corporatization of everything. So I'd say one area that has changed a lot has been in, in television. Um, it used to be that really things were financed by you know a particular network, right? If mm-hmm. ABC or a cable network like Showtime, you know, commissioned a show, you know, they fully funded or you know, nearly funded the entire budget of that. Mm-hmm. And now you'll see um, something that I worked on, the the Young Pope, mm-hmm. um, great show, you know, which was on HBO in the U.S. I was representing uh, a French company that was involved in it. That I think that series has like nine different financiers. Wow. So it's, you know, as the budgets of these productions increases significantly and uh, the shows are sold much more simultaneously around the world. Right. You know, yeah. it, it used to be something like, you know, ER, right? It would have to be on television in the United States for two years before international buyers would start buying a show like that. Right. Now, you know, something like The Young Pope it's it's sold simultaneously around the world, so there are you know different people stepping up to all buy it at the same time, and you know and and co-finance it. So it's gotten much more complicated in terms of television financing, and that uh, more more akin to how um, independent feature films are produced than than it used to be. I mean, it feels like an entire shift in the way you have to like plan your business model, I imagine, right? Because all of a sudden you've got this like enormous pile of work at once instead of it being tiered or trickled out over time. Well, certainly over the last couple of years, just I'd say what's happened is there's just tremendous volume of contracts. (laughs) He starts crying into his mic. (laughs) (laughs) As you know, everybody is, um, you know, is producing content and and even brands themselves uh one of one of my clients is airbnb and that's not a traditional television network it's not a traditional production company but as people look to you know brands look to engage with audiences in a different way Mm -hmm. um rather than you know producing a commercial that's nobody you know that nobody's going to watch or taking out a ad in a magazine that you know people aren't you know aren't flipping through as much um the way to engage with consumers is to you know to be involved with content so you know some of that money that otherwise would have been spent on advertising can now go into creating content 
that you want to more closely associate with the brand. Totally. I was just looking up. I'm obsessed with this. Do you know Little Buck, Rob, mm. the dancer? I, yes. Yes. So he just, well, I mean, I think this has been around a bit, but he just reposted it again with the Louis Vuitton Foundation, did this amazing Icons of Modern Art film, um, like short film that's been all over Instagram. And it's so beautiful and it's so amazing. And that's like a perfect example of what you're talking about, I think. Yeah. Well, and, you know, remember, I mean, years ago, musicians would would it, it'd be they'd be a sellout right if they licensed yeah. Song to an <laughs> yeah right to an yeah. advertisement uh and now it's actually advertising that helps you know break new artists right as you know as um you know brands are kind of looking to you know be on the cutting edge and when you know when labels aren't spending the money to break a new artist you'll see you know whether it's you know Urban Outfitters or somebody else wanting to get that next song by somebody that's perceived as cool and kind of unknown. And yep, they'll, you know, they'll spend the money to help break the artist. Plus, I mean, at least my friends who are musicians, like of friends who, you know, tour with Brandy Carlisle and stuff like that, that's what they do, what they now, there's that new revenue model for them when, to make money when they're between gigs is to write those, those sort of stock you know, uh, mu the stock music for like Facebook um, or Google, they're like buying that stuff. And it's a great way for musicians to stay paid between, you know, live gigs. And, and the same for, you know, visual artists and that mm -hmm. too, right? I mean, any sort of form of, you know, commercialization, you know, seemed like you weren't a true artist or you were a sellout. And, you know, now everybody wants to be like Damien Hurst or something, right? Um, <laughs> in line to sell you, out. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. I mean, you you have artists who are designing uh, champagne labels. Right. The uh, sneakers. And Coca-Cola, right. Oh sneakers. Yeah, the, cro you know. Uh, Murakami crossover with Louis Vuitton. It's wild. Um, all right. So then, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to back us up again. You're in LA. You've started with this <laughs> entertainment firm. This is, I feel like if this was a TV show, these would be the flashbacks. I was, I was wondering how long did it take you to sort of like dig into the entertainment field and what did you do to like learn? I assume you had to learn fast and. I know being a lawyer in the entertainment field is more than just knowing your contracts. I mean, I imagine you know everything there is to know about everything that's going on. So how did you dive into that in the beginning before you really knew anything? I mean, I think for the first couple of years, I mean, I, I generally was focused on, you know, more the, you know, the legal aspects and learning the contracts and sure, you know, reading Daily Variety and The Hollywood Reporter and that. I didn't go to law school at, you know, at UCLA or USC. And so, you know, at sometimes compared to my peers who seemed so much better connected to agents or had gone to school with, you know, the son or daughter of someone who, you know, was running a studio, I felt, you know, felt a little out of the loop that way. And, you know, it was joined various organizations, some, you know, some creative, I, um, began to work with the American Cinematheque um, and, you know, helped them with film programming and uh, just, you know, met different people there and then joined the Beverly Hills Bar Association just to meet, you know, other lawyers in the field. But it, you know, it took time. And I, I, I know, I think I always, I was, you know, late 20s was a very frustrating time for me, you know, Everybody else seemed more connected, seemed to have more money. Um, and I always kind of say that I uh, you know, like impatience is a virtue, <laughs> um, it's, or, you know, or certainly a dry, a driving force, yes. right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think we both, um, Andrew and I both subscribe to that and fit yeah, that we, mold for 100%. sure. <laughs> yeah. So when do you feel, when did you, do you actually, better question, do you remember the first time you felt like, hey, I've got some wind under my sails? This is feeling, our friend Hassan, who we had on, says, the metrics of ease. I'm feeling the metrics of ease. It's a little easier. Yes, of sorts. I mean, I, er, you know, early in my career, I would, you know, go to pitch business. And back then, you, you know, you had to put all these PowerPoints together <laughs> that would take, you know, hours and then fly maybe to go meet with a particular company and hope that they picked you in some, you know, in some way. And right. I remember I got a, a decade or so ago, received a phone call one day from um, the general counsel of Comcast. And he said, oh, we're, you know, we're thinking of 
buying part of a company and we need, you know, some entertainment support and, you know, we, you know, we'd like your help. And it turned out, you know, I mean, what they were buying into was uh, NBC, NBC Universal. <laughs> yeah. And you're gonna say. it's like, wow, <laughs> you know, that was a great call to get. No kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. You know, that I, that I hadn't, you know, pitched for or, or even actually in person met the general counsel at that particular wow. time. And yeah, that was, you know, things, you know, have gotten definitely a lot, you know, easier on the business front along the way. But I, I suppose, you know, had I not sowed all those seeds for years and years and years, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have necessarily, you know, le- led to that. I mean, there's, there's times too, I mean, always kind of try to help people along the way, you know, answer some questions or, you know, even if they're not going to become my client, at least kind of steer them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with entertainment, things do move so fast. And and somebody who's a junior lawyer today, I don't know, in two years, they could be the general counsel of some other production company, totally. right? So, right, right. Um, you know, kind of, you know, treat everyone the same on, on that level, whether they're, you know, only been out of school a couple of years I've taken on small clients and and helped them. And then it's not that they grew into being bigger, but maybe they're talking to someone and they, you know, who needs someone in a significant way and and they'll say, Oh, my lawyer is the best. You should use right. you know, use him. And right. you know, gotten business that way. So had I not taken on that little project for someone that maybe didn't seem to make sense, I wouldn't have landed their friend's company. Yeah. So what guides your intuition in those, in those situations where is it the person or the, the idea or, you know, for those smaller projects? Uh, Two things. I I mean, definitely the person it would, you know, should be someone that I, you know, would like to connect with and, you know, like their energy or their drive. And the other is maybe if it's taking me, into either a new area or exposing me to a type of agreement mm. that I haven't seen before. Mm. I love that it always comes back to the nuts and bolts with you. Yeah. It always comes back to the love of like the 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 battle between you know the words and the rules and the, uh, and I, the I'm learning. so fascinated by yeah the learning. It's like you're constantly where we call ourselves on this. We've taken a great thing from one of our guests. We're skill acquirers, right? And we and I, I feel like you follow right into that fold. Yeah. Early on during The Voice, um, someone called the, the television series The Voice. Um, I got a call to help out a young kid who was just auditioning for it, and really, um, it it made no sense for for me to be that person's lawyer. And I knew that the form of agreements that they were being you know sent by the production company they're they're not typically something that you can negotiate at that right. level. You either right. want to be on the show and you sign them, or you don't. But I did take on the engagement mostly because I wanted to see all of those contracts mm. you know that had been prepared. Mm-hmm. And and in fact, um, this particular artist was also a songwriter. Uh, and, you know, as compared to some of the others who, you know, are, are singers without the songwriting yeah. um, component. And even though he was 15 or 16 at the time, he had already written a good number of songs. So one of the contracts in that package of agreements for The Voice was a publishing deal and um, recording deal and that. And so, you know, we actually were able to negotiate a, a you know, a couple of changes in what otherwise would be the contracts that everybody else, you know, signed. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. So did this kid have any idea what he got by getting you as his lawyer, his representation? Oh, yeah, they were very appreciative. That's awesome. That's amazing. I was trying to think like what I have known at 15. I've just been like, cool, there's this lawyer who's handling this shit for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I have so many questions. Okay, here's another one. I was thinking I was thinking about you last week, actually, because so the backstory, by the way, which we're burying the lead in the middle of this episode, the reason Rob, you came on the the podcast is because you have an Instagram account called The Daily Server that you've had for a long time. And I've been following it for a long time. And for reasons that we'll talk about in a minute, I just, I really, really love it. And, uh, and that's Thank what, you. yeah, absolutely. And that's why I was like, you know what? I'm just going to cold DM this guy and see if he'll come on. 
And you said yes. Don't tell us if you regret it yet. Not yet. Um, <laughs> There's still time. Yeah, but it, it hasn't come out yet. Exactly. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, but I was thinking about you last week because I uh, have you heard about um, this startup lunchclub.ai? Have, has that come around no. in your circles at all? No, no. I think it launched in September and I know there are a couple competitors and I got like early scraped, you know, data on LinkedIn to be a, to like jump the wait list. It essentially takes all of your the publicly available data with its members who are largely like entrepreneurs and people who are building things and it builds these really robust profiles and each week it matches you with someone to go have coffee with that is you know sort of somewhere around what you're looking for Mm. uh, which could even just be you know meeting cool people you do a little bit of manual teaching it what you want as well Uh, and I had a really interesting coffee last week with a guy who's like the head of media and entertainment for a humongous uh, humongous multinational company. Uh, and, you know, those are not the folks I run into a whole lot in my life, more now than I used to. Um, but he was just, he was very serious and very, um, uh, there was a little bit of posturing, you know, going on in the meeting. And I was thinking to myself about you, Rob, that you have such a, you seem to have such a sense of play. Like for a dude who has handled some of the biggest deals in American history and the media, much less the world, you have, I mean, <laughs> you build playlists about ass and you take photos of amazing servers and tell their stories. Like how, how do you do your job and maintain that sense of play? I mean, I think it goes hand in hand in the fact that, you know, most of what I do professionally all day long um, is, you know, is very serious and technical and detail oriented and has a lot of you know quick turnaround time and responsibility associated with it that you know you need to do some other things to you know blow off some steam and have some fun and it's all about balance i mean right i, I feel like i never really strike strike the right balance <laughs> but you know i i of strive course. for it and you know and yeah. I, I think you know um, amongst my clients, most of whom are, you know, I tend to be on the institutional side of the business for the bulk of my practice, meaning that I represent um, producers, production companies, studios, banks, networks, um, more often than on the talent side of the business, um, Mm -hmm. typically. Mm -hmm. And so my client base tends to be people who are lawyers or are former lawyers. Mm. And so, you know, they're, um, not the easiest clients out there. Um, <laughs> no, they, but, you know, some for some of them, they actually appreciate that maybe I do, you know, at least appear to be more well-rounded than, you know, some of the, you know, other lawyers that they would be dealing with. And so... It works, you know, it works well. So what is it, what is it from the daily server? So, uh, so what kind of got you started on the daily server? What was it about these people? And I know that you probably have a lot of lunches and a lot of, uh, you know, you're traveling to different places and seeing different people in the world. Like what was it that kind of started you down the path of, I'm, I want to connect. I, I was not a big social media person at all, you know, in terms of like Facebook or anything like that. I didn't have, you know, social media friends, um, LinkedIn, you know, I, I receive those. I accept them. I've never really sent out a, a LinkedIn. <laughs> and um, I was in Nashville, Nashville with a couple of uh, people who who were working with me at the time. And um, the one, you know, this was about six and a half years ago or so. And the one started showing me Instagram and the photos and that. And I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. It's like you know, you kind of take a picture, and it's you know, it's just in a moment of time. Mm. And you know, I noticed a lot of people were taking pictures of their food or their cocktails. And for me, um, I had, I'd been a waiter in college. And I, I always say it was my best training for being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really, you know, law is a profession, but it's a service industry as well. Yeah. And, you know, I don't have tables, but I have multiple clients all needing things at the same time. And so it's a lot of juggling. So it's that. And then also when you're a server, you have to kind of read people pretty quickly too, right? Do they want to be left alone? Do they want to be entertained? Do they want knowledge about, you know, the food and the menu and stuff? And so similarly, you know, as a lawyer, kind of have to read each client pretty quickly, you know, and especially or the other side fast. Um, And then, 
you know, knowing when to kind of right send in the busboy to give some extra water or clear the plates if you're not going to be able to get to it. This so is it's amazing. Same, same <laughs> for me, you know, is, oh, I might not be able to get to something. So I have to ask a paralegal or an associate to take care of it so that, you know, everybody's getting good quality service at the same time. So that was always my my background for why, you know, I, I thought it was my best training for for law. And in Nashville, I was going out to some different places and I thought, oh, I'll start taking pictures of, you know, somebody who took care of me that day and gave me good service and write a little uh, little blurb about them. I know I thought, oh, I'll do it for one year as like a one-year project. And again, I think I when I started or signed up, there were like seven followers, you know, and That's um, wild. Yeah, it kind of, you know, grew pretty organically over over time. And after the first year, I wasn't ready to stop. And <laughs> it it also uh motive I'm a bit of a creature of habit, but I also like adventure and change. And I was always wanting to, with the photos, try a new place. So it, you know, got me to, you know, break a little bit of my routine and not go to the same restaurant or the same bar, but to constantly try new places. Well, we have actually, so one of the things we do on Take Me to Coffee is it's, we consider it a coffee date uh, for us, but also for everyone who listens to the podcast, anybody who follows our guests. And we got a question actually from a former guest for you um, about Daily Server. Hi, Rob. This is Amanda McCrossin from Napa Valley. I'm a sommelier and digital content creator, and I loved looking at your Instagram and noticed that you highlight different servers and bartenders who provide you with excellent hospitality. So I'm wondering, what is it about servers and bartenders specifically that you think makes them excellent in the hospitality world? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Nobody has really asked me uh, about that. I think, you know, certainly one thing that conveys great service um, is just when it's somebody that seems to be enjoying their job, right? <laughs> they, because with someone like that and someone who's communicative and, you know, like brings you in on the game a little bit, like you can tell when somebody's swamped or overwhelmed and they could either ignore yeah. you <laughs> and you get irritated and frustrated by that. Right. Or they kind of like, you know, keep sending you signals that they're getting to you and you you kind of empathize with them in, in that way. Mm-hmm. So just some, somebody who's having you know, a good time in, in that way. And, um, you know, who seems to respect the, the pace that you're at, you know, as I said, kind of being intuitive, like some, one day I might be in a rush, um, you know, during lunch and another time I want to relax and hang out a little bit and not feel as though I'm being pushed off of the table. So somebody who kind of, you know, has that, that sense of, um, intuition about, you know, the service that they're, to be giving at that particular time and somebody that shares a little bit of personality. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. 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 Do you see a little bit of yourself in each of the people that you take photos of? Only or? the good looking ones. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was so great. Uh, but, but seriously though, do you, do you find it like kind of a, like you were like, Oh my God, that was me as a, you know, as a, as a kid and kind of giving back in that way. Is that like kind of a way of other than, than a tip? Certainly. I mean, on, on one level, um, working at at least in the you know in the United States you know working as a bartender or a server tends to be maybe a transition job you know or mm-hmm. you know a temporary job while somebody is pursuing because it offers flexibility so it you know affords them time to go off an audition during the day and gives them that flexibility or they're doing that you know to help put one of their kids through school or some, you know, something like that. And so, it, you know, it's always great to hear about what someone's, you know, aspirations are and, you know, what they, you know, what their goal is, you know, for what's next. I th- think more in Europe or sometime in, you know, um, Mexico or South America, I've encountered people where really being a server is their profession mm-hmm. and they, you know, and they trend, you know, to treat it that, you know, that way. 
I mean, you'll see that sometime, of course, in the United States, maybe at a, you know, an upscale steak, you know, upscale old school steakhouse where somebody has, you know, worked there for right, 40 right. years. The guys at Gallagher's have been yeah. there forever. Oh, um, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shoot. What's that steakhouse on Hollywood Boulevard? Um, Musso and Musso Franks. Franks. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's like three generations. <laughs> There's a family, right, of three generations of guys working there, like grandfather, father and son. Yeah. And s- some of the waiters appear in that Netflix show, The Kaminsky Method. Oh, I didn't know that. With Michael Douglas, if you see that show, they're often yeah. eating at Musso and Frank's, and they have a couple of the actual waiters who, um, you know, in their in their trademark red jackets. Lifers there. Yeah. Yeah. I maintain that is the best martini in all of Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've, look, I've tried a lot of martinis in LA. With your Instagram, <laughs> for me, it was both Andrew and I worked in the restaurant industry. Luckily, Andrew didn't have to do it very long, but... I also loved it. And I was a award-winning mixologist for a long time here in New York. And the fact that you take the time to tell their stories, not just to post their um, photos, I just, I find it amazing and really special because we're question, we like, we like to ask questions. That's why we host a podcast. Um, But it's extraordinary how many people, you know, over those years I had relationships with that never asked me anything, you know? And like you were saying, like, there's so during those periods of years, I mean, no, no, there were all these people that had no idea. I was like running a nonprofit in, a, in homeless shelters or that I understudied Donna McKechnie, the original Cassie in a mm. chorus line. No one just no one ever asked. And I think that's why I love your Instagram, the daily server so much. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, some, you know, it's tough because people are sometimes very busy. I mean, yes. you know, if it's, yes. uh, you know, a bartender at a, cr- you know, at a crowded bar, mm-hmm. you know, that's trendy and everything's happening and it's a Friday or a Saturday night, you know, it, it can be a little bit challenging for me to get too much out of someone. And, mm-hmm. you know, certainly you don't want to impose or slow them down that much. You know, other times it, it's probably, you know, easier when I'm at a, you know, sit down restaurant or something mm-hmm. like that. And often it doesn't take that much, you know, just kind of a, one or two questions. And then sometimes people will open up and, you know, just really feeding me all the information without me needing to do any of, you know, any of that's the awesome. And that, yeah, I, a couple of times, um, you know, I've had here in New York at one bar, the bartender, it was almost the reverse, right? Normally people go and they sit at the bar and the, you know, it's the patron who spills his guts and, you know, you know, commiserates mm-hmm. with the bartender. Yeah. Here, the bartender had just broken up um, with his girlfriend and oh. just, you know, really telling me the story. And so, I mean, I, I just put an element of that into right. my post that particular night. And then, you know, he had written me on the side, can you please remove that part about breaking up with my girlfriend? Oh, no. <laughs> Do people know who you are? How often does it happen that someone's like, oh my God, it's the daily server? Oh, you, you, so, you know, I, I, Almost, I think, other than once, you know, I don't appear in any of my photos on on Instagram, right. so nobody particularly knows that. But where I've shown it, you know, showed up, and I've said, "Oh, if you, you know, do you mind if I take your photo?" You know, I do this thing on Instagram, and uh, I'd say it's a few times a year. Um, and it's surprising. You know, I think the first time was, you know, in the first year, uh, was a a poolside server in a bikini, you know, in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, particularly sensitive, like, hey, I want to get a photo of you in your bikini right. by the other Weird. side of the pool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, she, she looked at me and then I showed her the Instagram and she's like, oh, I actually follow you. So, you know, that, uh, went, that one went well. And another- <laughs> Shoot. Oh, thank goodness. I was like, oh, no. that could have really turned out poorly. <laughs> I, another time I was in Prague and it was a speakeasy and I'd, said to the bartender, oh, I wanted to take a photo. And he said, oh, we really don't allow photos in here. And I said, oh, I don't want to catch any of the patrons or, you know, or anything. I just want to get a shot of you. And he said, no, we really try to maintain that. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not out to pressure anyone right. or make anyone uncomfortable. Right. said, yeah, sorry, it was just for my Instagram. I did this thing. And then he's like, wait, the daily server? Oh, you can take the photo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's like, I follow you. That's you know? amazing. And, so it, I mean, it happens, you know, several times a year that just by coincidence, um, you know, it, I might be catching someone who, you know, was already a pre-existing follower. And it's great. feels good. I, I you must feel so, so cool. proud. I think this is the second time I've said this where I just, I'm listening to everything you've done in your life and everything you continue to do. And I just think like, you must be so proud of everything that you continue to do. I mean, do you ever, do you feel that way? Do you feel proud? I mean, 
I guess I would say, yeah, I'm certainly I should feel proud. I think often I feel more, more fortunate, you know, fortunate. I I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I certainly recognize that I worked very hard along the way for a lot of this stuff, but I, yeah, I I guess I feel, you know, even on a bad day, of course, I feel grateful and yeah, unfortunate, super fortunate. You know, I'm usually in an air-conditioned office, right? <laughs> um, you know, my job includes, you know, going out to a nice meal to talk to people. I, you know, yeah. Yeah, I feel very, very lucky and fortunate. That is beautiful. I want to wrap all of this up in a little, t- like a little itty-bitty box. And then I want to open that box and just like look into it and just have so much joy. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird, but I do want to end with one more question from somebody from the internet, and it's a you know what? It's kind of an overarching question. It's a bigger, it's a bigger, more mm. thoughtful question from Laura Frosty. She asks, "What's your favorite thing about being in the arts industry?" Oh, I remember in, in college. So I'm gonna I'm gonna double answer it, right? Um, I remember in, in college, um, I always would go to the concert office where I didn't work in it, but I would I would go there because I got Billboard magazine every week, and you know, loved you know reading the charts all the time, mm-hmm. and I just thought, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. one day I want to have a job where where I work buys Billboard magazine for me, you know, because I would <laughs> later I wound up subscribing on my own. And at that time, I think it was like $235 a year, right. you know, and that was like 30 years ago. And then I was like, some someday I'm going to get a job that will, you know, pay for that magazine. For right, me. right. And then I, you know, got that and it was like, woo. Um, but I think one of the things that's most satisfying, um, and I certainly would never want to practice law in of any other area, you know, yeah, it's paperwork, and it's negotiation, and it's, you know, it's, it, at the end of the day, it's law, it's contracts, it's it's rather dry, but it's so cool to see kind of different projects that you've worked on, you know, come together and then be, you know, be produced. And, you know, sometimes you get a credit in the end, you know, way after every, everyone, a lawyer is always la- like right? last, <laughs> super last. The biggest and most prominent one I ever got was on the movie Traffic. And I'd never got, you know, so many emails mm. were like, I saw the movie Traffic. And it was like, oh, yeah, it was Michael Douglas and me, right? <laughs> I mean, it was so, <laughs> it was much more prominent than usually it's way after, you know, all the song credits and the, you know, catering, the dog trainer, the insurance company gets credit beforehand and then lights you know, up. It's almost like after the movie ends and everybody's out of the theater. Oops, we have one more credit to show. Production attorney. Right, right. (laughs) But. (laughs) It's so thankless. But without you, it would never have happened. So I I think it's seeing things come together. You know, that's probably one of the most satisfying and enjoyable aspects of it. So if you had to give, I mean, I'm sure you do often, a piece of advice, since this is a mentorship podcast. To someone who's listening, who's working on their own content, uh, you know what I mean? Pitching that TV show, trying to put the all the pieces together to make something happen. What what uh, is there anything sort of particular to your experience that you would offer them if someone t- were to take you to coffee and say you put so many things together in your life? Give give me a great piece of advice. Hmm. I think not enough people take the actual kind of responsibility for their career. You know, there's just like a, sometimes just a general dissatisfaction. And so people think that they need something different. And sometimes you can maybe even stay in the same place, but kind of, you know, shape more what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So, right, if if you're a receptionist at um, NBC, <laughs> but you really want to be an actor or, you know, producing one of the shows, um I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to leave NBC <laughs> and the reception job. I mean, it just have an awareness, yeah. connect with everyone around you, you know, volunteer on top of your reception job to, oh, wait, you need somebody tonight to do this? I'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's almost like fate or coincidence is sometimes it's almost like an extra sense or a skill. And I think <clears throat> if you're not putting stuff out there, Right, talking to someone in an elevator, you know, or mm-hmm. while you're in line for a movie or something. Well, then 
you'll never kind of accidentally meet that person who can <laughs> help take you to that, you know, that next level, right? Right. right. You can't think something into happening. You got to do it. You got to do, yeah. do the thing. That is an awesome piece of advice to end this with. You are amazing. Feels so grateful to get to talk to you. No, oh, thank you guys for, for reaching out. Very, very nice of you. And um, best of luck to you with the podcast and also your, your individual careers as well. well. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. If I ever yeah. need an entertainment lawyer, I'm going to call somebody else. Near me. Um, and real quick, tell everybody where they can follow you online if they want to see what you're up to. Uh, at Instagram, it would be at the daily server. Fabulous. Thanks again, Rob. This has been amazing. Just like that. Rob Garwell, what the fuck? I knew this conversation was going to be amazing, but I had no idea how amazing it was. I feel like a child on Christmas, and I'm totally not kidding. I can't, I sort of like can't even believe. I wish we could have talked to him for like three hours. I had so many questions. I was, I was so silent for most of that episode, I felt, because I was just like taking in information. It was fucking awesome. How cool is that fucking guy? Like, right? Like he hobnobs with the like the fucking elite elite of like the entertainment industry, the world, really. Of the, like, some of the biggest fucking titans of entertainment. And he's just like, yeah, man, DJ on the side. And I love it like an ass set. Look, when that happened, I, an ass set. I nearly... <laughs> Perspired, expired. I got perspired also. And perspired. I did perspire and I almost, almost expired. There was just, I'm leaving it in when we edit it, just like this silence because we were like, did he, did he said that? And I can't wait for a Patreon <laughs> coffee club members like to watch our both of our faces. I, my mouth went, <laughs> I full gape. I was like, what in the actual fuck did you just say? It took and me a second. It took me mi- like a full minute to actually re- like rationalize what he said. He does meetings without pants on. So what we're basically best friends. Yeah. Essentially, we should have him on the podcast every week. Oh my God. I want to have a drink with him real bad. You and me both. Well, he clearly <laughs> doesn't have coffee, so we got to go for a fucking cocktail. Oh yeah. Also that he's never had a <laughs> cup of coffee in his entire life. Holy shit. I, his advice at the end was amazing. I just felt like, I mean, I have a pretty good handle. I feel like you do too on a lot of the stuff he said, but it didn't matter. It was like something about the way he was saying it backed up by his experience and what he's achieved. I was like, listen hard, Jessica, because you got to download this advice and you got to live this shit. But it all comes back to the same exact thing we keep talking about on the podcast. If you're a mentor or you're somebody who's looking for mentorship or looking for a way to do it, do the fucking work, do the fucking work. Yeah. Do the fucking work. Like, that's number one. Do the fucking work. And the thing about listening to Rob talk is none of us are doing enough work. Clearly, based on his standard. (laughs) Right. I mean, he graduated at 16, went to Georgetown, (laughs) went to fucking ASU, and then went to Georgetown and became a lawyer. And he's like, well, you know, I just wanted to do international stuff. So I went to Georgetown. No big deal. Oh, somebody told me about entertainment law. I was like, yeah, it seems like a challenge. I'm going to do that. Climb up the fucking hill. Charge it charge up the hill and then just fucking handle all the business and then he was like oh I was, I was frustrated I was frustrated in my late 20s I was frustrated in my late 20s in the 80s skip 40 minutes into the uh, podcast and then he's like oh casual yeah I, biggest credit on the movie Traffic and sold you know Disney to Miramax and <laughs> Like, like facilitated the like he. It's like it, he talks about it fuck? in the same way that I am like you guys. I got off of my couch today and I fucking walked and got soft serve ice cream. But I think that goes to tell us <laughs> at the end of the day, everything is equal, right? In scale, yeah, like this guy, true. like what he does for a living, he's worked his fucking ass off for it. If you work your fucking ass off, nothing seems unattainable. Yeah. Once you surround yourself with the knowledge, you surround yourself with the goal, you surround yourself with the want, all you listeners out there, everything is achievable. What are you what are you going to walk away from this conversation? What are you going to do differently or what are you going to try that you haven't done or like what thought new thought did you have as a result of this conversation? Don't be afraid to do anything. I li- I am I've been grappling with that lately is like mm-hmm. don't be afraid to be great. Like this guy is the fucking poster boy for that too. It's like don't be afraid to be great. You can mm-hmm. do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've, that's kind of been a theme in my life these lately. It's just because, mm-hmm. you know, I've been unemployed 
for a little bit. I mean, I'm going into a job soon, but like, yeah, don't worry, everyone. He's fine. <laughs> and I love what he said also about, and one of my main takeaways, this was this, when he was talking about, I do have a lot of things, but I want to give back. And that is kind of a place that I'm in yeah. too. It's like, I'm, I haven't made it to where I want to be. And I know he hasn't made it to where he wants to be. He's in a very comfortable place, but he also wants to give back. And that's where I'm at right now. It's like, I want to give as much as I can because I have been blessed with these things that I've worked very hard for, but I want to give and give and give. That was, it was amazing. I'm just going to be thinking about this oh, for the rest know, of the week. What a great so way to uh, launch this week out. So you guys don't forget, There's, if you are not insanely inspired by the access to that conversation and his stories, just, just I don't want to know. Don't tell me. And if you are, follow him at the daily server on instagram it's so awesome there are so many incredible people featured all around the world in rio and london and nashville and la and new york and just freaking everywhere it's such a good follow real real people like real people doing the things they may be in transition maybe one of those people is going to be famous someday maybe they're not going to be famous maybe they'll cure cancer but like he is you know he, he's taking a glimpse and a little bit, a little slice of life out of somebody just to like acknowledge them and to pay homage to something that gave him such great joy and foresight and made him a better lawyer is what he said. I want to be Rob when I grow up. I do too. You know what? If you want to be Rob when you grow up or you want to hear from somebody else that you think that you want to be like Rob when you grow up, head over to Twitter, follow us at TM2C Podcast, ask your questions for our upcoming guests. And you can also let us know about somebody smart and cool you follow online that you think that we should talk to. Oh, I am so sad to say that's it for this episode of Take Me to Coffee. I never want it to be over. But last and a lack, we must go on. So now it's your turn. One, check out new episodes every Tuesday on your favorite podcast and skip it back to for special bonus content including being able to see all of our guests and andrew and i join our coffee club over at patreon that's at www.patreon.com slash tm2c podcast podcast your contribution helps us continue to make this podcast for you with you and completely ad free no one tells us what the fuck to do Except for Rob. We always listen to Rob. We'll always listen to Rob because he's actually our entertainment lawyer. Now. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. We're not actually we're not actually paying Rob anything. But Rob, would you Rob, be we, our entertainment we, lawyer? We, we might need some help soon. <laughs> Three, download these episodes and leave us a review so that we can continue to climb the podcast charts. Uh, we'll talk about this more later, Andrew, but we popped up at like number 157 out of 5,000 podcasts on Chartable recently. Holy fuck. It is a Sisyphean effort cool. to climb the fucking podcast mountain you guys that is you know can't do it without y'all thank you thank you thank you i'm jess i'm andrew and we'll see see you you next next week week.